ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله amma ba'd today then we have a general lecture regarding ramadan the approach of ramadan the preparation for ramadan and understanding some of the virtues of this month we know that fasting is one of the pillars of al-islam the fasting of the month of ramadan is one of the pillars of islam it is one of the obligations of islam and it is something well known the evidence that fasting in the month of ramadan is an obligation is in the quran and in the sunnah and in the consensus of the ummah as for the quran then allah mentioned in surah al-baqarah ya ayyuhalladhina amanu kutiba alaykumus sayamu kama kutiba ala alladhina min qablikum la'allakum tattaqun O you who believe, and remember we mentioned the statement of the Salaf, one of them said, whenever you hear an ayah starting with, Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu, O you who believe, then listen to it very carefully, because either it's going to be a commandment, from the commands of Allah or a prohibition from something that Allah is prohibiting you from so here ya ayyuhalladhina amanu aw yuhu believe kutiba alaykumus sayam fasting has been prescribed upon you Kama kutiba ala alladhina min qablikum Just as it was prescribed on those who came before you La'allakum tattaqun So that you may achieve taqwa This ayah tells us a few things It tells us that fasting is obligated upon this ummah kutiba alaykum as-siyam fasting has been prescribed upon you it has been written upon you it is obligated upon you the ayah also tells us that fasting was prescribed upon the nations that came before us to the ayah 
also tells us that fasting was prescribed upon those who came before us too, before the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, previous prophets and messengers, they used to do fasting also. Because the ayah says, كَمَا كُتِبَ عَلَى الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبَلِكُمْ That it's been obligated on you, just like it was obligated on those who came before you. Just as it was obligated, prescribed, written upon those who came before you. And the ayah also tells us the wisdom behind fasting. And this is one of the most important things for a Muslim to understand. The wisdom behind fasting. Allah tells you in this ayah what that wisdom is. That is, so that you may achieve, you may obtain piety, taqwa, fearing Allah, fulfilling the obligations, staying away from the prohibitions, achieving and obtaining that piety and righteousness, achieving and attaining that piety, that taqwa, so that you may be from those who have taqwa. That is what you are supposed to learn through fasting. Fasting is not just to experience hunger. Hunger is a part of it, no doubt. To experience hunger is a part of fasting. Because as Sheikh Al-Fawzan, Hafizahullah Ta'ala mentioned, when you experience hunger, then you will remember those who are in constant hunger. You will recognize the great blessings of Allah upon you compared to those who are constantly in hunger around the world. Also, when you are in hunger, despite whatever health you may have, whatever strength you may have, whatever youthfulness some of you may have, when you feel that hunger, then you recognize just how weak your bodies really are. A day without food and you are drained of your energy already. You could be the strongest person. You could be tough. You could be strong, healthy, fit. But a day without food, a single day, without food and without water, and you recognize just how weak your bodies are. Therefore, recognizing your weakness before your Creator, recognizing your meekness before your Creator, how small you are, how weak you are, and how much 
in need you are to your Lord and your Creator, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is the purpose behind fasting, to reach taqwa. Taqwa. Not just having to struggle through it and get it over with. People who fast, with that type of mind where they just want to get it over and done with, then they have not understood the reality of fasting. Now that the month of Ramadan approaches, some people will be experiencing happiness that the month of Ramadan is approaching. They will be experiencing happiness and joy at the approach of this month, at the worship and the opportunity Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens up for them in this month. But others, they will be dreading it. Others will be viewing the approach of Ramadan with a view of dread. That there will be long days, summer days, 18 hours, no food, no drink, the difficulty, the hardship. That is all people will be thinking about, some of them. And they will be hoping and wishing that it would just come and go quickly. That's why a Shaykh al-Thaymeen, a Shaykh al-Thaymeen, rahimahullah ta'ala mentioned, when the month of Ramadan finishes, then the Muslims are of two categories. Either you will be somebody who is glad it's over and it's gone. Or you will be somebody who feels glad in terms of having had the opportunity to do all of that worship, but feels sad at the departure of Ramadan. Those who feel glad it's over, and they couldn't wait for it to be over, then they have not benefited or understood the reality of fasting. But those who feel some sadness at its departure and they recognize what a great blessing and what a great month it was and what opportunity Allah bestowed upon them and what blessing Allah bestowed upon them they are the people who realize the blessings of the month and the virtues of it so now when Ramadan approaches people who are viewing it with stress, all of the hunger, the long days, the summer, they're just viewing it with that negativity. And those people have not understood the meaning of Ramadan. And they need to fix that attitude. If you want to benefit from Ramadan, then you need to fix the attitude. You need to fix that mental perception of what this is. This is one of the pillars of Islam. It is a tremendous act of worship that you do for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
That's why Allah mentioned that the reward of fasting, it is with Allah. And Allah will reward a person as he wishes without any limits. أَمَّا السَّوْمُ فَإِنَّهُ لِي وَأَنَا أَجْزِبِهِ Fasting is for me, for Allah. And I will reward the person upon it. Such is the greatness and the virtue of this act. So here in this ayah of the Quran, Allah tells us regarding the obligation of fasting and that it was something which was obligated upon the nations that came before us. And that the objective from it is to achieve piety, taqwa. Similarly, Allah mentioned in the Quran, شَهْرُ رَمَضَانَ الَّذِي أُنزِلَ فِيهِ الْقُرْآنِ The month of Ramadan in which the Quran was revealed within. The month of Ramadan in which the Quran was revealed within. هُدًا لِلنَّاسِ وَبَيِّنَاتٍ مِّنَ الْهُدَى وَالْفُرْقَانِ As a guidance to the people and a clarification from that guidance and criteria. فَمَنْ شَهِدَ مِنْكُمُ الشَّهْرَ فَلْيَسُمْ So whomsoever witnesses the moon, the entry of the month, then let him fast. In the Sunnah also, we are told regarding the obligation of fasting. In the Sunnah, for example, the famous hadith, Buniya al-Islamu ala khams. That Islam is built upon five pillars. And those five pillars, Shahadati an la ilaha illallah, وَأَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ وَإِقَامِ الصَّلَاهِ وَإِيْتَاءِ الزَّكَاءِ وَسَوْمِ رَمَضَانِ وَحَجِّ بَيْتِ اللَّهِ الْحَرَامِ The shahadatain, the tawheed, the prayer, the zakat, and the fasting. Fasting the month of Ramadan mentioned in the sunnah. Also indicating that it is a pillar of Al-Islam. وَالْحِكْمَةِ فِي شَرْعِيَةِ الصِّيَامِ أَنَّ فِيهِ تَزْكِيَةً لِلنَّفْسِ وَتَطْهِيرًا وَتَنْقِيَةً لَهَا مِنَ الْأَخْلَاطِ الرَّدِيئَةِ وَالْأَخْلَاقِ الرَّذِيلَةِ one of the wisdoms behind fasting, as we said, was to achieve the taqwa. How does a person do that? A person through fasting aims to purify and cleanse his soul from the degrading and the lowly and despicable acts 
a person aims to cleanse and to purify himself from the evils that he may be upon. لِأَنَّهُ يَضِيقُ مَجَارِ الشَّيْطَانِ فِي بَدَنِ الْإِنسَانِ It's mentioned in a hadith إِنَّ الشَّيْطَانَ يَجْرِ مِنْ إِبْنِ آدَمْ مَجَرَ الدَّمِ That shaitan flows through a person like the flow of the blood in the veins and arteries. So when a person fasts and his arteries, veins, etc. in his body, they tighten up from the lack of food and liquid. They tighten up and so it tightens the flow of the shaitan within a person. Restricts, constricts the flow of the shaitan within a person. But when a person eats and drinks to his fill, now everything opens up inside of him. His veins and arteries, they open up inside of him. And the flow of the shaitan and him following his desires becomes easier upon him. وَضَعُفَتْ إِرَادَتُهَا And the... the the intention and the objectives, the will to succeed, it becomes weaker in the soul when a person is eating and drinking to his fill and fulfilling his desires. And the desire to worship Allah, it becomes reduced when a person is full and eating and drinking. وَالسَّوْمُ عَلَى الْعَكْسِ مِنْ ذَلِكَ But fasting is the opposite of that. Fasting, you're not eating, you're not drinking. You're staying away from those affairs for the sake of Allah amongst other affairs. And so that limitation of food and drink, it is something that strengthens your resolve. It strengthens your resolve, strengthens your mind upon obedience to Allah and staying away from the haram. That fasting teaches you patience. As-sabr ala ta'atillah wa It teaches you patience upon the obedience to Allah and patience in staying away from the haram. It teaches you that patience, even when you stay away from the food and the drink for 18 hours a day, or less or more, then staying away from that which your soul desires. For that period of time, it is a training process for a person. It is a training process for a person, training that person upon patience, training that person upon controlling himself. And that is what the reality of fasting is. 
Fasting helps a person with patience. And within fasting, within fasting, a person loses his desire for the worldly glitters. You do not desire the worldly bliss. When you're fasting and you control your uh, soul and your desires and you recognize your purpose in creation in worshiping Allah, then your soul is no longer inclined to the worldly desires, the worldly luxuries and bliss and gliss. A person has muzuhd when it comes to those affairs. وَتَرْغِيبٌ فِي الْآخِرَةِ And there is within fasting an encouragement regarding the hereafter. That a person thinks more about the afterlife. A person thinks more about the resurrection, about the accountability that will occur. A person, he has more understanding and recognition of his purpose upon this earth. وَفِيهِ بَاعِثْ عَلَى الْعَطْفِ عَلَى الْمَسَاكِينَ وَإِحْسَاسِ بِآلَامِهِمْ Within fasting also, it helps you to sympathize with those who are in a poorer state than yourself. It helps you to sympathize with a poorer or with the people who are in a poorer state than yourself and to experience the pain that they experience from that hunger and that thirst. لَمَّا يَذُوقُهُ الصَّائِمُ مِنْ أَلَمِ الْجُوعِ وَالْعَطَشِ لِأَنَّ الصَّوْمَ فِي الشَّرْعِ هُوَ الْإِمْسَاكُ بِنِيَّةِ عَنْ أَشْيَاءٍ مَخْصُوصَةٍ من أكل وشرب وجماع وغير ذلك مما ورد به شرع ويتبع ذلك الإمساك عن الرفث والفسوق. So when a person is fasting, he must refrain from certain things with an intention from the dawn to the sunset. That is the definition of fasting. To refrain from certain things, eating, drinking, intercourse, etc., to refrain from that which is impermissible during fasting, that which breaks your fast, with an intention from the Fajr time, in Tulu'il Fajr, ila ghurub al-shams, al-imsaku an ashya makhsusa biniya. So let's imagine, for example, a person didn't eat or drink 
all day yesterday. And they only got a chance to eat after Isha when they got home. And we say, okay, good, they get one day reward for fasting then. They didn't eat all day. The last time they ate was last night. Went to sleep, got up, no chance to eat, went to work all day until after Isha. They got home first time, they eating, drinking, anything all day. So, alhamdulillah, can we say they got a reward for fasting for one day? Why not? Because they had no intention to fast. Correct? They will not get the reward for fasting, even though they didn't eat, they didn't drink, no intercourse, none of the things. But they won't get the reward for fasting. Because they had not made an intention to fast. They had not made an intention to fast. And so even though they didn't eat, they didn't drink, they didn't do any of the things from the morning to sunset, from the Fajr time to sunset, they won't be counted as having fasted for the day. So it needs an intention. And there are several different types of things that you have to stop doing when you're fasting. It's not just eating and drinking, even your behavior. Even your behavior, you have to fix that up when you are fasting. And learn and educate yourself upon the good behavior so that you can carry on with the good behavior even after Ramadan. It's mentioned in a hadith. من لم يدع قول الزور والعمل به والجهل فليس لله حاجة في أن يترك طعامه وشرابه A person who does not leave قول الزور meaning everything which is باطل whoever does not leave the false speech and the false testimony and acting upon foolishness. The Sufaha who behave in this foolish way. Al-Jahl. Al-Jahl, that is the, the foolishness. So a person who does not leave all of the falsehood and acting upon falsehood. Falsehood can be all types of things. Lying, swearing, backbiting, cheating, storytelling, carrying tales. All of this is qawl al-zur. All of that is the false speech. A person who does not stop that false speech. And acting in that way. And acting upon foolishness. Then Allah says, فَلَيْسَ Or the Prophet says, فَلَيْسَ لِلَّهِ حَاجَ then Allah has no need fi an that that person leaves his food and drink. Meaning, if you stop eating and you stop drinking, but you carry on swearing and you carry on lying and you carry on cheating and you carry on backbiting, you carry on all of those things in Ramadan. 
But you just stop eating and drinking. Is that how you're supposed to be fasting? Absolutely not. That is not the way fasting is supposed to be. Fasting isn't just stop eating and stop drinking. This is what people seem to think. When people think of fasting, they just think, okay, no food, no drink. You can't eat all day. You can't drink all day. That is only one aspect of fasting. In fact, the Salaf, they used to say, the easiest part of fasting, the easiest part of fasting is to stop eating and drinking. That's the easiest part. So what's the difficult part? To control your tongue and your behavior. That is the difficult part. Stopping your tongue and your behavior from the haram things, from the impermissible things, from the falsehood. That is the difficulty they used to say. That is where the hard part is. But as for stopping eating and drinking, that is the simple part they used to say. Everybody can do that. And that's why when you see this strange thing, Muslims who do not even pray, they do not even pray. And if they pray, they only pray Jumu'ah. And maybe one or two prayers in the week. But when it comes to Ramadan, MashaAllah, fasting every day, not eating, not drinking. This is a mistake in the priorities. They are not going to abandon fasting. They say, Astaghfirullah. You're not fasting in Ramadan? Astaghfirullah. But the prayer, As-Salawatul Khams, you say you're not praying, they don't care about that. You know some of the scholars, like for example, Sheikh Abdul Muhsin al-Abbad, Hafizahullah Ta'ala, Ulama al-Madina. Somebody came to him once and they said to him that there was a person, he never used to pray or fast, he wasn't practicing. Then one year, he began practicing, so he began fasting and praying and everything else. The question was being asked in Ramadan. So the person said to Sheikh Abdul Muhsin, there was a person he never used to fast or pray, wasn't practicing, but now he started. Now he fasts, now he prays. Last year's Ramadan and the year before then, how does he make it up? How to do the qada? You know what the answer of a Sheikh Abdul Muhsin was? He said, which qada? Qada for what? He wasn't fasting and he wasn't praying, you said? He wasn't fasting and he wasn't praying, huh? He said, which qada? person wasn't Muslim. Lam yakun Musliman aslan. So there is no qada upon you. He wasn't praying. He wasn't praying... Meaning he wasn't Muslim. So he said, if you weren't praying and you weren't fasting, if you weren't praying, you're not Muslim anyway. So you don't have to make your pay fasts. Now you start the practicing, Alhamdulillah, you're Muslim now. From now you carry on. You're fasting and you're praying. 
So it's a big mistake. Some people, they don't even pray and they are fasting. You need to be praying as a priority with the fasting. Just like people will say, how can you miss fasting? No, we have to fast. Even the people who aren't practicing, they fast. But you need to understand that prayer is even higher ranking than fasting. Prayer is the second pillar of Islam. Fasting comes after it. So you need to be praying. And that's why some scholars say, upon that opinion, if you're not praying and you're fasting, your fasting won't even be accepted. If you don't pray, then your fasting won't even be accepted. You're considered a kafir. So it's something very severe. Everybody needs to pay a lot of attention to. The issue of the prayer along with the fasting. So in that narration it says, whoever doesn't leave their evil behavior and their evil speech, then Allah has no need for you to leave your food and drink. Because the purpose of fasting is not just to leave the food and drink. The purpose of fasting is to leave your evil behavior and speech and habits. That's what you're supposed to be trying to rectify. Fasting is an opportunity for rectification. You know, it mentions about some of the Salaf. They used to start making dua six months before Ramadan came. Asking Allah, oh Allah, allow us to live long enough to make it to Ramadan. They would start making that dua six months before Ramadan even came. Oh Allah, give us the, the life to see this Ramadan next one coming. And then after Ramadan finished, they would be making dua for the next six months. Oh Allah, accept the deeds we did in Ramadan. For six months afterwards, they would be making dua. Oh Allah, accept our deeds we did in Ramadan. Then when there were six months or so left until the next Ramadan, they would start making dua. Oh Allah, let us see this next Ramadan coming also. Because they recognized the great virtues of the month. They recognized the great blessing Allah has placed in this month. Because we know there are certain times of the year that Allah has blessed. One of those times of the year that Allah has blessed is the month of Ramadan and in particular the last 10 days and nights. Within them is also Laylatul Qadr, the night upon which the Quran was revealed. And so the month of Ramadan is, as the ayah mentioned, the month of the Qur'an. It's an opportunity for a person to go back to the Qur'an and to make his connection to the Qur'an once again, to begin its memorization once again, to revise over what he's already memorized. To learn the meanings of what's within it. That Quran 
It is something of great importance and in particular in Ramadan. Al-Imam Al-Bukhari Rahimahullah Ta'ala In Ramadan he used to lead the Taraweeh prayer and he used to recite every night approximately 10 juz so he used to finish the Quran in Taraweeh when he was leading every 3 days 10 juz then the next day 10 juz the next day 10 juz in three nights, he would lead them in Taraweeh and finish the Qur'an. Which means throughout Ramadan in 30 days, he would finish the Qur'an leading the prayer 10 times throughout the Taraweeh prayer. In 30 days, 10 times. Every three days in the Jama'ah, in the Taraweeh, they would finish the Qur'an. Then on top of that, he himself personally, personally used to read the whole Qur'an once a day in Ramadan. Which means he personally used to finish it 30 times. So altogether he would finish it 40 times in Ramadan. That is mentioned of him. And if you look at some of the other scholars, they mention even more of how much they used to do of their reading of the Quran in Ramadan. So it is the month of Quran. It is the month of opportunity to revise back what you've memorized to get it strong again, to read the new parts, to memorize new parts, to learn the meanings of those new parts. The Qur'an is something of great importance a person should never abandon. Should never abandon the Qur'an. As Shaykh bin Baz, rahimahullah, that's why he said, the Muslim, every day of his life he should put aside Half an hour or so. Every day you should put aside somewhere in your day half an hour for the Quran. Every single day. Do half an hour of reading every day. Anytime, somewhere, morning, evening, whenever you can. Put half an hour aside, 20 minutes, half an hour every day for the reading of the Quran. So when it comes to Ramadan now, you can start practicing to do that. More in Ramadan, but at least get to the level where after Ramadan you can still carry on with 20 minutes or half an hour every day. So the Quran is something that a person will greatly benefit from during Ramadan. Even in the Taraweeh prayer, you should find out what is going to be recited and in advance. You should go and read that section and read the meanings of that section. That is what you should do every night. Find out from the mosque where they are going to be reading from, which section, where they're going to begin, 
Then go and prepare that section. Read it yourself at home. Read the meanings of that section yourself at home. So that night when you come and you pray the taraweeh, you get some general understanding of what's happening as well. You get some general understanding of what is being recited. That is the way you will benefit more and that is how you will have a greater level of khushu' in the prayer. People come to the taraweeh and they don't understand anything. So you stood there and your mind is just somewhere completely different. Your mind is somewhere completely different. Thinking about something completely outside. Your mind isn't focused on the prayer. Because you're not understanding what's being said. So in that case, make some effort to rectify that situation. Make the effort to slowly learn Arabic bit by bit. Maybe by next year and the year after and the year after. You'll get higher and higher level of understanding of Arabic. And what is being read by the Imam. Practice the Quran and the meanings and look through and understand. So every night you should prepare. Prepare what's going to be read. Read it. Read the meanings of it. Get familiar with it. So that when you come to the taraweeh and the imam is reciting, you are able to get a gist of things and you're familiar with what's being read. And so your mind will have a greater degree of focus. Instead of coming and just standing there, not understanding your mind somewhere completely different and finishing and going home. Then you have not benefited the reality of the taraweeh prayer. You have not benefited the reality of salah. The salah, it is to give you benefit in that worship. The taraweeh, recitation of the Qur'an, you're supposed to benefit from that. From the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. From the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imagine the difference between somebody who understands everything that is being recited. Compared to somebody who doesn't. Somebody who understands everything that is being recited. They are stood there. Stood there listening and understanding everything. How is their focus going to be in the prayer? Compared to somebody who isn't understanding what's going on. So if you don't know Arabic, make an effort to start learning. And at least prepare the sections before you come to the taraweeh prayers. That is something that will greatly benefit you during the prayers. You had a question? Whilst the taraweeh is going on. This is something people do a lot. Taraweeh prayer when they come. They have the Quran on their phone. They have the app. With the Quran and the English translations or whatever language translations. So they go to the section the imam is reading. So as the imam is reading. They can follow along with what is going on. The sections the imam is reading, they can follow along the English as the imam is going along. So what do you think about that? Allowed or not? 
No. Not allowed. Why not? It's not allowed to do that. It's not allowed to hold a mushaf as you see people doing in the taraweeh. They're holding the mushaf and the imam is reading and they're following along and turning the pages with the, as the imam goes along. You're not supposed to be doing that. Or with the phone, praying with the phone and following the imam on the phone while he's reading and looking at the translations. You can't do that. That is not permissible. Is that something you do in the prayer? Is that in the prayer? Hold your phone and read your phone in the prayer. Is that in the sunnah? Hold a book and read the mushaf in the, in the prayer. That is not allowed. That is not part of the prayer. It's not part of the actions of the prayer. It's not legislated to do that. That's why you need to prepare before you come. Read that section five times before you come. When you hear it that night, it will register in your head. You'll be reading it five times before you came. That ten pages, twenty pages, whatever, eight pages a night that you read. Eight pages a night, that's normally what it is these days. Eight pages a night. Eight pages of the Qur'an. So those eight pages, look at them carefully, or ten pages. Look at them carefully that day, read them two or three times over. So in the evening you have something to register. Um, If a person is praying at home, you're praying taraweeh at home. For example... Maybe for whatever, imagine somebody finishes work late. They open their fast at work, they pray maghrib at work, they finish at 11 or midnight. So you miss the taraweeh in the mosque. So now you want to still pray. It's okay, you can pray. So when you go home, now it's midnight, suhoor is going to finish at 3 a.m. You think to yourself, let me pray for two and a half hours. Long taraweeh prayer for the night. Okay, no problem. But you only have memorized قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ And قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ And قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ You've only memorized a little bit. But you think, I'm going to be awake till 3 o'clock. I've missed the taraweeh in the mosque because of work. I want to do it long. In that case, by yourself at home, yes you can. Some of the scholars, they say, that's okay then. Because otherwise, you can't do it. If you only know that little bit of Qur'an, you can't. It's not possible to repeat that so much. So they say, okay, in that circumstance you could do it. With the Qur'an or with the, the device that you're praying and you're reading, 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 two hours worth of prayer. Yes, you could do that. But in the mosque, the imam is leading. He's the one reading. It's not upon you to do that. And it's not legislated for you to do that. In the mosque, the only exception is imagine there is only... Uh, one hafiz he's going to lead the prayer if he makes a mistake there's nobody else hafiz who's going to correct him or if he gets stuck he gets stuck then what's going to happen what's going to happen sheikh is leading the prayer he gets stuck what's going to happen you're going to be stood there for half an hour in that case the imam could say to one person you Hold the mushaf and stand right behind me. And follow along as I'm reading. Because there's no other hafiz here. So if I make a mistake, nobody's going to correct me. Or if I get stuck somewhere, nobody's going to be able to help me. There's no other hafiz. So you get a mushaf, just one person, he picks somebody. You get the mushaf, stand behind me. 
and you follow along as I'm leading the prayer. If I make a mistake somewhere, I don't realize, correct me. If I get stuck, tell me. So he can appoint one person. If there is no other hafiz. If there are other people who know, then you can't even appoint anybody. If there are other people who are hafiz, they can correct them, they can tell him. But if you were in a situation there isn't, then one person could be appointed. So that one person could hold it, and uh, he's doing the job of making sure the imam uh, reads properly. With that, when the imam is reciting, normally there are some people also in the jama'ah, even if they're not hafiz, they know some ajza, they know 10, 15, 5, they know parts. When it comes to correcting the imam, this is something that you see as a mistake in many places. When it comes to correcting the imam, he's reading, reading, and he makes a mistake. Maybe he doesn't realize it. He's reading, reading, he says some word wrong. Wa instead of a fa, or fa instead of a wa, things like this. And he carries on. All of a sudden you hear ten voices from everywhere. You hear ten voices from here, 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 everywhere. Voices from the, from the seventh row at the back. Sixth row from the back, everywhere. Voices coming. That shouldn't be like that. It should be organized. Really the people who are hafaz, people who have memorized, they should be stood near the front anyway. Those people who have memorized and they know Quran and they have knowledge of that, they should be stood here near the front rows anyway. Then from amongst that, there should be some understanding. There should be some understanding that these are the people who make the corrections. Because when an imam makes a mistake, you don't instantly jump. You give the imam an opportunity. He's reading, he's reading, he makes a mistake, maybe two or three words onwards. He registers because normally when you memorize something and you make a mistake, normally you know something is not quite right. And you're thinking. So maybe sometimes it takes a second or two, another few words, and then the imam realizes himself. So when he makes a mistake, you should give a moment. Maybe the imam registers himself and corrects it. But if he's carrying on and you've realized he hasn't corrected it, then there should be some understanding of who the people are who are going to correct him. People who are known to be hafid or they know they got some Quran, those are the people you know are going to be doing the correcting. It shouldn't be people shouting from here and from here and everywhere. That's going to end up confusing the imam more. He's hearing all these voices all of a sudden from everywhere. So with that, have it more organized. It should be done in a more organized fashion so it doesn't become chaotic every time the imam makes a slip up or he gets stuck or something. Give a moment and then the people who are known to have Quran etc. They should be near the front anyway. And then those people they correct the imam. So that it doesn't become chaotic when the imam makes a mistake or he forgets something. Hmm. You tell them before the prayer starts. Before you start praying, you tell somebody, you hold the Qur'an, you hold the Mus'haf. So before the prayer starts, they already know and they're already doing it. Any other questions? No, anything, yes. Any device, anything. One person is appointed to be the checker. One person is going to be the checker. He could hold a Mus'haf in his, in his hand and it could be a device, it's the same thing. It doesn't make a difference on that. Well, that's your problem. It's your problem because you need to work harder for next year so you know more Arabic. And when you practice next year before you go to the Taraweeh, you'll get even more understanding. 
But nobody can say, but look, I get so much benefit if I can follow in the Quran uh, when the prayer is going on. Yes, you will. You'll understand everything like that. But it's not the sunnah to pray like that. You're going against the way of the prayer. Where in the descriptions of the prayer, they say you can hold a mushaf in the prayer to follow the imam. Did they ever used to do that anyway? It's not the sunnah to do it. So you just got to work harder, practice more, get your Arabic sorted out more. So by the next year and the year after that and the year after that, every year you're improving, improving. Prove your Arabic, it can be done. Imagine now you set yourself a target. In three years time in the Ramadan, in three years time, inshallah, going to come and I'm going to understand 70% of what the Imam recites. And it could be done if you work hard. But if we say to everybody, no, it's okay, hold the Mus'haf. Who's going to bother learning anything? Who's going to bother revising, practicing, learning Arabic? Nothing. So you have to strive. You have to strive. We have to conclude on that for today. Next Saturday, there's no class. Next Saturday, there's the conference in Liverpool. All day, beginning at 2 p.m. till 10 p.m. at night. So you should go there for the full day. It's a full family event, sister side, brother side, stalls outside, everything. Speakers, uh, Abu Khadija, Abu Hakim, all the brothers, they're coming, Abu Iyad, Abu Idris. There'll be full day of lectures. So inshallah, next Saturday, go over to Liverpool. The leaflets are there outside. Pick up the leaflets with the address and everything. So next Saturday will be that. Then in two weeks' time, still no class, because in two weeks' time, there's an event in Bradford. So in two weeks' time, you can go to Bradford, and that is all about Ramadan. It's what we discussed today, but in much more detail. Full day of lectures about Ramadan. Again, there'll be three or four different speakers. That's in two weeks' time. So next Saturday, Liverpool. The Saturday after that, Bradford. Then the one after that is going to be Ramadan anyway. We'll come back and we'll do some more Ramadan classes, inshallah. Thank <laughs> you.